Uh, I don't know how many of you have experienced uh, the unexpected 6.30 and 7 p.m. knocks at the door that are a part of the experience of this valley. Anybody experience those knocks at the door at your home? 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. Yeah, we do regularly. Uh, I didn't understand why there were so many no soliciting signs on doors in our valley until I realized that door-to-door sales are still a thing around here. I just got to tell you, they're not a thing most places in the country, but they are a thing here. Right? And I have decided and told multiple people I'm okay without solar panels on my roof. Really? No, 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 really. <laughs> and can you tell the person who will come next month? <laughs> like, please help. Uh, I, uh, our windows just got done this week. We got new windows, so hopefully those knocks will stop. They'll see that our windows are new. They might not. But anyway, our windows did need some help. Some of them were 1979 originals. And uh, so they have been updated. Our house feels tighter and more sealed for some reason. The cold air doesn't quite jump in as much, right? Um, we, we had some pest control service, and we've kind of wrapped that up, so we're okay on that front. And I'm, I'm sure they'll find a new front, but, but there's that, that reality that we experience in this valley of unexpected visitors. We read in Hebrews chapter 13 something powerful. Look at the beginning of Hebrews 13, and it, it should connect us. What, what, we're gonna, what I'm going to look at from God's word this week and next week is both going to connect us with where we've been and point us to where we're going. And uh, we're going to actually do that from uh, the book of Genesis. But look at Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, I've had some important guests at my home, but I'm not sure we've ever entertained angels. And yet we know from these verses that that God is pointing us back to something that happened earlier. And that's where we're going this week and next week to Genesis chapter 18. So let's turn there. Genesis 18. So Hebrews told us that, that there have been people who have been hospitable and they've entertained angels. And Genesis 18 is actually that story. And while, while we don't know exactly, um, you know, the circumstances that surrounded this, we do know that whenever angels show up, and, and these verses will tell us actually God himself shows up. Whenever angels show up, they must be there for some important reason. And the two stories that we read in Genesis 18 actually point us to two big ideas about who God is. One, one that Abraham and Sarah need to hear, and one that uh, is coming and that's really important for them to understand. So let's look at Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. Genesis 18, 1 through 15, where the Bible tells us this story. And the Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, And bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and young, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree 
while they ate. As this story opens, the first thing that we see is that God himself appears. The Lord himself arrives. We know he shows up in a group of three. This is what we would call, to use a big term, a theophany or a Christophany, an appearance of God in the Old Testament, in human form. So there's God, and he's accompanied by two angels. And it's pretty clear that Abraham gets this pretty quickly because he runs out, the Bible tells us, and he bows down before them. And, and if this had just been angels, they would have said, don't worship us, we're just angels, right? But Abraham pretty quickly gets what's going on. And as the Lord himself appears, the unexpected knock at the door, Abraham kind of clicks into hospitality mode. Do you see that? We, we know that this happens, the Bible tells us, in the heat of the day. So it's the middle of the day. And the likelihood is that Abraham uh, had kind of finished up his work for the morning, was taking a break before his work for the afternoon, and was ready for his afternoon nap. You ever been interrupted during a, a prepared nap? I usually get a Sunday afternoon nap after I kind of crash from, you know, the morning and everything that happened. I was like, gone, so, right? My wife is very kind in that. My son doesn't always get it, but uh, we try, right? So these visitors show up in the middle of Abraham's planned nap or planned rest, but, but right away his gears change. And you can sense something about the heart of Abraham and his hospitality from this story, can't you? It's apparent that the lavish hospitality that he shows is hospitality that is ready. Do you see that? He says in verse three, oh Lord, if you have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. I'm ready. I wanna help. I want you to stick around. <laughs> Don't just pop in and go. It's not like me when that knock, that 6.30 knock happens at the door. I'm like, should I even open it? <laughs> Abraham's ready. He's ready to show hospitality. He was willing to be inconvenienced to serve and to care for others. You know, I'm thankful to have known a number of people who have excelled in hospitality. It's no coincidence that Misty's here today, right? I think Kevin and Misty are people who just, you, and I see some of you nodding because you, you, you relate to this, you've experienced this. It's just like that front door is closed, but it's open. Like, you know you could knock any time and, and the welcome mat is there. And, uh, and unlike us, I'm a, I'm a clock watcher. Anybody else a clock watcher? Right, everything's on a schedule. This always drove Kevin nuts, because <laughs> Kevin's on. He, you could stay till 10 o'clock. You could stay till midnight, right? You might mess up school days to come for days and days and days, but you could stay. I'm like, it's been good to have you here. Generous hospitality. We, we knew this family um, when, we went, when I was in college in South Carolina who had this habit. They, um, many of you remember or are, have experienced churches with choirs, right? Like the choir would sit up here. And there was this family that we went to church with named the Blakes. And uh, he's this ginormous guy, just big and tall, one of those guys whose voice and personality just filled the room, right? And, and, uh, and he and his wife had this habit. It was really cool. Every, like, end of the week when they go shopping for groceries, they would plan for Sunday. And they would buy extra. And on Sunday, they would make a big meal. Only here's the thing. They didn't know who was coming. They had made no plans in advance. This was their deal. And so they would put a big roast in or they would get a whole bunch of like deli meat for sandwiches or whatever they decided that week. And then they would kind of like check with each other as people came and gathered on Sunday and they just start picking people out. 
you know, and if, if someone told them no, they'd go to the next person, they go to the next person, they go. And every Sunday, they have two or three families over, and they just, that was their home. They were ready to show hospitality. We're gonna go camping with Colleen's parents uh, at the end of the month down in Zion, and you just let her dad loose on a campsite, and he knows everybody, right? Like, he's just, they're just, their heart is open, that's Abraham. He's like, don't leave. Don't pass by. You stay right here. And look what he says in verse four. He says, let a little water be brought and wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on. So what does it sound like Abraham's gonna do? It sounds like he's gonna lay out like a little spread for these people. Let me get you a snack. But is that what happens? No way. Abraham just, he goes for it, right? He's ready to show hospitality and he shows it generously. And, and he doesn't take a lot of time to do this. You can sense his eagerness, right? Uh, the end of verse two, when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. Uh, verse seven says he ran to the herd. When he talks to Sarah, he's like, quick, Sarah, get this stuff ready. So he's ready, he's eager, and he's generous, he ran to the herd, verse 7 says, took a calf, tender and good, gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds of milk in the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. He's ready, he's eager, he's generous. Isn't this what, like, lavish hospitality looks like? It doesn't mean that you have to have, you know, uh, surf and turf for people ready whenever they come. But Abraham understands the significance of God being there, of the angels being there. But I think what we see into his heart here is just a generous hospitality, a willingness to give of himself. And this hospitality is actually a reflection of God himself. Deuteronomy 10 verse 17 says this, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. God himself has this heart for people who are wandering, people who are passing through, people who are lost, people whose, whose life is in disarray, people who have great needs. God himself has that kind of heart, and he says, you at, we should actually have this same heart because that's where we were before God rescued us. Just like the Israelites in Egypt were, were, were slaves, were strangers, were in trouble until God rescued them in the same way we were. And so when we see people in need, when we see people who are struggling, when we see people who are on the outs, when we see people who, who, um, who don't have, we, we ought to be ready to jump in. We have a God who cares for the refugee, who cares for the sojourner. It's part of the reason our hearts should go out for the things that are going on around the world. Whether those things are on our border or whether those things are across in Eastern Europe, we, we ought to have a heart that cares it's interesting to me as I think about it that we serve a God who came to earth himself as a traveler. Jesus was born in a manger on a journey, in a barn. He was a man who lived without a permanent residence, who relied on the care and love of other people. 
So as this story starts, we see lavish hospitality shown, and I just wonder, are we ready, eager, and generous with our service? Or are we dragging ourselves along, hoping everything will be covered and no one will ask for our help? I just hope it's all under control, because I don't know if I could, I don't know if I have any more. Why wouldn't our hospitality look like Abraham's? Well, maybe like that knock at the door, we just don't want to be inconvenienced. We have our plan and our schedule and our ideas, and we we just don't want to be pushed out of that. Maybe we're already maxed out. Anybody ever feel this way? Right? We're like, hey, listen, I, I I would give you a generous meal, but I don't have a meal. I would give you my time, but I don't have any time. I would give you, you know, my resources, but I don't have any resources. I would, I'm just maxed out. I think for a lot of us, we we do need to do some self-examination about have we said yes to too many things? Because if we don't have the time or the resources in our own minds or the energy to to respond to opportunities for hospitality and service, like eagerly, (laughs) in a ready way, generously, then maybe we've maxed ourselves out in a way that we shouldn't if we can. Maybe you're just held back by past failures and abuses and not not willing to put yourself out there again because it might not go well. You might be taken advantage of. I can tell you from the example of Jesus, if we're generous in our hospitality, we will be taken advantage of. I just just promise you that. If if you're willing to reach out in the lives of other people and help out, it, it will go It will sour sometimes. It will go bad. But that shouldn't keep us from continuing to be generous in our hospitality. Maybe we're just unaware of needs and opportunities right around us. Or maybe we've grown tired with lots of serving. Acts 2, 46 and 47 says this. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, the early Christians received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. It is as if they rolled out a ginormous welcome mat to whoever needed it, whenever they needed it, and they knew you were welcome. It's actually one of the concerning side effects of what we've all been through in the last couple years. Isn't it interesting that one of the first things that we were told not to do was gather in your home with other people? And if we're not careful, that can carry over into like a wariness, or withdrawal when God has called some people who are welcoming. Generously welcoming. Well, the story goes on, and actually in, back in Genesis 18, in a way this story starts with the response, and then it goes into what God has to say. Genesis chapter 18. Look at, look at where the story goes from here. Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. The men said to him, they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said. By the way, that word Lord is in all caps. It's it's the word for Yahweh, the one who keeps promises. The one who has forever existed. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Is that a complicated promise? Really simple. It's actually the third time that God has said something like this, but this time it gets more specific more clear. But it's straightforward. It's simple. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself. 
right, internal chuckle, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is any word that God has spoken too hard for him to fulfill? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. You know, the story starts out with the Lord appearing with lavish hospitality shown, but then, then God reinforces, God shares with Abraham and Sarah what I, what I want to call for us laughable promises. It's part of the reason we sang like we sang this morning. I know sometimes singing songs like that almost contradicts how you feel inside. Anybody feel that? Right? The, the weight and heaviness and hard things of life are real, but so are the promises of God. Do you still believe that God's grace is amazing? Do you still believe that nothing is impossible for him? Do you actually believe that he loves you unconditionally? You know what we see in the verses we just read? God's promises are for you. They're personal. Did you see how that part, this part of the story started? They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. Why, why, did, why did these angels, why did God himself ask where Sarah was? Because what he was about to say was for Sarah. It's, it's a problem for us that we can get in a place where we sit in church and we listen to God's word and we hope somebody else hears it. Right? So they're like, man, I hope my spouse is listening. Man, my kids need to hear that. We open our Bible sometimes and we're like, man, that's good stuff for somebody else. Should share that verse with my men's meetup. Those guys need that. God's promises are for you. God's word this morning is for you. He wants to say something personally to me and to you. His promises are personal. They were personal for Sarah. This is the wonder, guys, of spending time in God's word. Some of you maybe are bogging down in your beginning of the year Bible reading ideas and plans. Maybe you're in a place that's a little bit more of a struggle. Or maybe you've just missed a few days and you're not sure you're going to keep at it. Can I encourage you to keep at it? Every time you open God's word, even, even you randomizers, some of you are like, oh, whoosh, where am I? Every time you open God's word, he's got stuff to say for us. And he can powerfully take a story from thousands of years ago and put it right into your world. We should go to God's word expecting that. We should go to God's word expecting him to take something right from those pages and take it right to where we live. God's promises are personal. But secondly, God's promises are plain. They're simple and clear. God's promise here to, to Abraham and Sarah in verse nine, it tells us when, right? This time next year, the verse says. I wish I had that sort of when when Jesus is coming back. Don't you sometimes? Like, in three years, <laughs> Awesome, <laughs> right? We can plan, you know, whatever. 
This time next year, Sarah, your wife, there's the who, shall have a son. There's the what. And this is the pattern all throughout God's word that his promises are simple and clear. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will not leave me. <laughs> he will not abandon me. He hasn't, he hasn't started this journey with me and he's going to take a new job. He's actually sticking with me. Right? That's why people love verses like John 3.16 so much. That's why we read Psalm 100. For God so loved the world. That's John. That's not Psalms. John 3. For God so loved the world. What? That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. And here's the problem. When I quote that verse this morning, some of you are like, wah, 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 wah. Because it's become so normal to us that we miss how incredible it is. Do you know that Abraham and Sarah had to have been blown away by what God said? Some of you haven't experienced what it feels like to not, not see God give you children for an extended period of time. But I can tell you from personal experience that it's one of those things that's kind of always around. There are a lot of, you know, late night conversations that Abraham and Sarah must have had. Do you know the Bible tells us that Abraham and Sarah had many things? They were very well provided for. They had a, abundant, you know, flocks and herds. It's like he had a great job and a good car and lots of money in the bank. Like, he had many things. Abraham and Sarah also had meaningful relationships, right? Abraham's nephew Lot was willing to travel across the world. Now, maybe he was just an adventurer, and maybe he grabbed his backpack, and he was like, I'm going with you. But it seems like Abraham and his nephew Lot, he had, he had some relative relationships that were close, and we know that he had people like Eleazar in his house who were um, servants and other people around him that he was close to. He was connected to the leaders of his day, but Abraham and Sarah didn't have children, and starting years before this promise, God had told him, again, simple promise, I will make you a great nation, I will give you a land, and the whole world will be blessed. And they waited. And they waited. And now God comes back to them to say again, I will keep my promise to you. But it seems so ludicrous that Sarah just laughs within herself. And I don't think this is an evil, sinister, I think it just seems beyond the realm of possibility. It seems impossible to her. But God doesn't miss it, does he? This reminds me of Jesus in the New Testament when he would hear little murmurings or disputes or he would know what was going on in someone's heart and he'd respond to it. And they'd be like, how did he know that? God knew. God knew that this was such a preposterous, crazy promise that Sarah laughed. And I think we probably all would have done the same. Have you thought about how incredible the promises of God are to us? Can I just give you three simple promises that are really incredible if we'll take time to think about it? See, into their great need, God brings his great promises. God has promised us spiritual rescue. We call it salvation. The forgiveness of our sins that if we will repent of our sin, we'll turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, he'll forgive our sins. We, we should say he'll forgive our sins, right? 
I mean, how many of you have the experience of God forgiving the same sin yesterday, today, and you will see him forgive that tomorrow? John Newton, the the famous hymn writer, said the longer that he lived, the more he realized that he was a great sinner and Jesus was a great savior. Do you know what our hearts need? God's rescue. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what our neighbors and friends need to know? That God offers rescue. God offers forgiveness. God offers hope. God offers adoption into his family. God's promise of spiritual rescue. Second, God promises lifelong care. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Isn't that incredible? That the God of the universe would care about you. That he would know the pain of your heart and the suffering of your soul and the needs of your family and the, the, the danger that awaits you. And he would make this promise to us. I will promise you goodness and mercy all the day. I will shepherd you all the way along. And he promises us an eternal home. How does that verse end? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I know. Do we? Yeah, I've heard that all my life. I know. And it's still true. And it's true right here today for you. The promises of God are deep and powerful and incredible if we'll pay attention to them. And it's like Sarah responds by saying, no way. Aren't we like Sarah? Like Sarah, we hear the promises of God. Like Sarah, we question the possibility of God's promises. Do you understand my situation? It's been too long. It can't possibly happen. And, and even like Sarah, we double down and deny that we struggle to believe God's promises. No, not me. Yeah, all of us. We're all like that guy that, that Jesus talked to who said, I believe, help my unbelief. That's the struggle. But here's the cool thing. Is God deterred by Sarah's unbelief? Is God deterred by her laughter? In fact, in, a, in an interesting way, God had predicted her laughter. He had said, you're going to call this baby what? Isaac. That happened in the chapter before, by the way. <laughs> you're going to call this baby Isaac, which means to laugh. And you can certainly imagine that Abraham and Sarah had lots of laughs over the baby <laughs> that was born. Like, we are too old for this. <laughs> this is impossible. But God keeps on making and keeping promises to undeserving people. Isn't that amazing? He keeps saving people who struggle to believe. He keeps shepherding people who act like sheep as we go our own way. As we fall back into our sin, God keeps shepherding us. He keeps getting rooms ready and bringing people safely home. Do you know how many of his children God has failed to bring home? Zero. There's a 100% track record. You say, some days, I don't know if I'm going to get there. God is preparing a place and he's going to get you there. Why does God do that? Why did God make these promises to Abraham and Sarah? Because it shows his great power. Daniel read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 for us. But I want to read them again. Listen to this. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
you and I have everything that we need to have a relationship with God and to walk with him. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted, he has given to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. How do you make it? How do you have any relationship with God? And how do you survive the, the mess that is this world? You hold on to God's promises. I've given you a savior. I'll care for you all the days of your life. If you're young in this room and you doubt that, you talk to somebody older who's walked with God for a few years and you know what they'll tell you? He cared for me all the days of my life. And one day, we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Great and precious promises. Don't become numb to how amazing it is that the God of the universe has made those promises to you. Let them carry you through the uncertain and challenging and difficult times of life and don't guard your door. Some of us need to open up our doors a little bit. We need to raise our hands a little bit more to serve. Say, I'm here. God's done so much for me. Go for it. Let's pray together. God, what an encouraging story, an encouraging reminder of what generous hospitality looks like. But more than that, a reminder that you have made us great promises, promises we need for our own souls and promises that our friends and neighbors need to hear. There is hope, not in the economy, not in a president, not in world peace. There is hope in you. Please strengthen our hearts. Lord, some are faltering, some are struggling, We're all hurting. We all carry heavy weights in different ways. Give us grace to throw the doors of our lives wide open, our homes wide open, our bank accounts wide open. Help us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And God, please help us to hold on, to not be of those who shrink back or fall away in unbelief, but help us to be strong in faith, giving glory to you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.